Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside. Suburbs, New York City, and an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? This feels so much different now that we've actually hugged, embraced, and met in person. What a moment. What that a beautiful a nice moment, moment it was. Yep. In the Upper West Side, our eyes lovely, met. Lovely balmy evening, you know, with the sun just beginning to begin its descent. The heat of the day gone, but the heat, the heat of our passions for each other just stronger than ever before. I wonder, yeah, we, JJ and I went to dinner last week for those wondering what we're talking about. Friday the first time, First time we've seen each other. I wonder, I'm trying to remember, what was the last podcast that we did? in person we're not doing we, ha- we still haven't done another one in person but this is the first time I, we saw each other since probably like i don't know march 16th 2020 march 12th, i believe it was march 12th march that was 12th. the last in studio recording before everything went i i'm even surprised when i look back at it that we were in studio on march 12th but we were washing our hands vigorously and wearing yeah. masks yeah no one quite knew yet what we were no they didn't with. we all knew something was wrong and that, you know, things were going to change, but you still didn't quite know like that you weren't supposed to even be near people. Yeah. So uh, I tweeted out a video of this wonderful reunion, me and you sharing a drink on the, in, on the Upper West Side in a restaurant. And uh, it prompted a, a wonderful response from so many people. And I thanked them uh, who were so delighted to see us together. And, and really the response was very nice. But the main question that came from it was, Right then, when are you back in studio together? When is that going to become a tremendous question? I personally would like to try. So the Premier League season has ended. With that, of course, comes our postseason award ceremony, the Devonlings. I would love for that to be our return to recording together. That would be oh, that would be so nice. Which would be next, which would be next week. Yeah. That would be great. Let's try and make that happen. Can we Let's put try. the wheels in motion? How hard is it to get me into that building again? <laughs> it's pretty hard. It is pretty Pandemic hard. aside, I mean, you're, you're not wanted there. They, they basically haven't wanted me for the last seven years. So why in the midst of a pandemic would they want me back? One final thing before we get off this touching reunion, and it was touching. Uh, you can see it uh, on our Caught Offside ESPN on Instagram. You can Instagram. see it like there was a camera just at, documenting it. At CO Soccer Pod. You can, you can follow it. Um, it, it. It was almost like the final scene in Lost in translation. It was that touching. But I do have a, a, a question or, or something I want to put out to people. You, even in the midst of that moment, we were chatting. We were having a nice time. We, or, we both ordered the same thing, the burrito, a lovely burrito. And you, you couldn't. Wait to humiliate me in front of people. Thank God it was it, there was loud music in the place. What Thank did I say? God. What did you say? I pick up the burrito like a normal human being with the hands that our Lord gave me, and you just scream, "Oh my God, you animal!" Out loud. Don't most people eat burritos with a knife and fork? <laughs> it was wrapped so perfectly with such tender care. A burrito is meant to be in the fist. You fist the burrito. You do not. Oh, my God. Careful. You know what I mean. Stop it. Fifth. You you pick the burrito. You don't. You have it in your hand. You don't do what you did. Like, I mean, you you were like a mayoral candidate, like a carpet bagging mayoral candidate. That's like, obviously I love New York style pizza. I'm on my way to Sparrow. I mean, don't make me out to be some George Costanza that cuts his Snickers with a knife and fork. (laughs) I, I think most 
people like you eat a taco with your hands. I understand that, but I think most people eat their burrito with a fork. You only use the fork if the burrito collapses, which happens always, inevitably. Did it happen this time? It was perfectly wrapped. No, you could tell. You could tell from the heft of the burrito. I picked it up, judged the heft. It was not coming apart. It was well wrapped. It was tightly wrapped. And I ate. Unbelievable from you. Unbelievable. And to shout you animal at me. I hadn't heard it in a year. I was, it just, was amazing. I was stunned. I've never seen such behavior. You're a cretin. <laughs> you call me an animal way too much, man. Far too much. Well, stop exhibiting such animalistic qualities and I'll cut it out. Let's get into this podcast. There's so yeah. much. I mean, this is a this is a burrito of a podcast. It's enormous. You got to eat this podcast with a knife and fork because you're civilized. The Premier League, of course, ended over the weekend, like we just uh, mentioned before. We'll get into how things played out there uh, and just kind of try to judge the quality of some of these seasons for these clubs who wound up in the top four outside of the top four, uh, because there's a lot of gray area. So I want to get into some of that with you. Also, obviously we'll talk about what happened in Spain uh, with Atletico Madrid, finding a way they do find a way to get across the finish line first in a dramatic end of the season. Juventus as well, sneak into one of the champions league spots. Boy, did that season not go the way they thought it would. And of course, Oh my goodness, there's so much European action with the Champions League final set for this weekend, the Europa League final coming up later this week. Um, so we'll, of course, touch on those things. A big mailbag as well. There's a ton here. There's a ton to get to. Let's start in the Premier League, JJ, where the race for the top four was the only race remaining at the weekend. And it did not disappoint. It swung three times in just the first 45 minutes alone. Uh, it was pretty riveting stuff. In the end, it is, of course, Tottenham helping out their Super League brethren, Liverpool and Chelsea, and it is the normal club, Leicester City, who are on the outside looking in yet again. Um, I don't know what this says about the sport. I don't know if that's even necessarily what we want to get into, but it was certainly a dramatic final day. Um, it was. I think uh, Liverpool sucked some of the drama out of it by, by doing their work. Um, but yeah, certainly Aston Villa, Aston Villa playing the, the part of party pooper was was pretty incredible. Um, and, and Leicester, I mean, if if you would have told me that Leicester would be in the position they found themselves uh, midway through that game, you would have thought they're going to close out. They're going to do it. But they didn't. And that really is the story that that emerges from this. Chelsea get over the line. Uh, Liverpool get over the line. And Leicester don't again. And it's not just that Leicester don't. It's that in some ways they were really the author of their own demise. And I'm not talking about the greater season, the last few weeks or months as a whole. I'm talking about in this specific game um, against the Tottenham side who you were so convinced had no shot here that you actually suggested to me when I, when we were having dinner and I brought up to you, I said, well, it looks like Liverpool are going to get it done, my friend. And you said, I don't know that goal difference and I said, JJ, Tottenham would have to lose roughly six or seven nil. Mm. And you said, well, I mean, look at the way they've given. I mean, so you were that convinced that this Tottenham side was so not at it that a seven nil defeat was still in the cards. It was asinine. I know you're going to cite what happened to Tottenham against Newcastle a few years ago, but we cannot allow moments that are the exception to become the rule. That was you insane. What happened a few years ago. And in the end, you were proven horribly wrong. It was insulting. I barely even want to acknowledge it. So we move on. But I say Leicester were the author of their own demise because they held not one but two leads against Tottenham, blew both of them. Casper Schmeichel, who only a short while ago was the hero of the FA Cup final, now punching own goals into his net. I mean, what happened to them? What happened here? 
But Andrew, I, I have to be totally honest with you and say, I'm going to give the excuses first, right? Yeah. I'm going to say that this is a team that has been struggling for the last couple of months with injuries, struggled with injuries at the start of the season, and they have an injury in-game to Fofana, which is something that they cannot absorb. That's the excuses over. They completely melted down, completely melted down. And, you know, they made Gareth Bale look great, which he hasn't done all season. In fact, we'll get to Bale later, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the thing for me, Andrew, is, is the bigger picture because that game, being in control and then losing control was kind of a microcosm of the last two seasons. If you think of it, pack these two seasons together because that's what it feels like. 1920 and 2021 with the COVID break, with the restart, the whole thing. Leicester have been playing this one long, horrendous season. And over the past two seasons, they've been in the top four for 68 of the 72 match weeks. Oh my God. They've only spent a month outside of the top four. And that month has coincided with the most crucial parts of the season. The end of last season and the final day uh, this season are obviously at the start of this season that that counts into that kind of month outside, but it didn't matter. 68 out of the 72. That's the psychological thing we're dealing here with. And I believe it's been a great season for them to win that FA Cup. I truly believe that. I know people have been talking it down. Imagine if they didn't. Oh my God. <laughs> the, the, the biggest show in town is the Champions League. I do understand that from a monetary sense, from a prestige sense. That's where you want to be. I totally understand that. But I do believe it's been great for Leicester what they've done this season to win a cup. But this, the psychological trauma of this, two seasons running, now going into next season, that is something really, really huge for Brendan Rodgers to have to deal with. It makes it really hard for me to judge just exactly what I think of this Leicester City side. Um, I know they're good. Like they're they're definitely they're a good consistently team. good. There's no question about that. And and you know, we've spoken at length about them and how impressive their recruitment has been, the players that they've lost over the years and they and the way that they've retooled and put it back together. And even Brendan Rogers, I only I had just said um I think before the FA Cup final, that even if he lost that and loses out on finishing top four, it won't really change the way I view him as a manager. Oh, so I guess you're I, reviewing. So I guess I have to stand by that. I did say it, but he's making it hard. Uh, and look, I know you've gone over at length the injuries that have happened this year. I remember yeah. at the end of last season, I spoke about the injuries to James Madison and players like that from last year. Um, so that is certainly part of the Leicester City story. But my God, this is now part of their character. I mean, it's it'd be hard if we go into next season and they're playing well. Um, I will applaud them for it because once again they will be you know going toe to toe with with the big boys once more, which is an impressive thing to do for a club with a wage bill their size. Um, but I won't trust them. I will not believe that they're going to get it done until I actually see them get it done because that is now unfortunately for them part of their DNA. Well. I, I batted away two weeks ago, I think, on a mailbag or, or maybe on Twitter. I, one, one of our listeners said, and he said it, you know, like not, he wasn't being, he was just, he just asked a question. He just said, is there a bottle job issue with Brendan Rogers' teams? And I said, no. And I went through, why not? Now, a large part of the why not was what he won in Scotland with Celtic. So, okay, there's a few caveats there, but then they win the FA Cup and that's making me feel better about that. You know what's happened, Andrew, in the, over the weekend? The memes have happened. Mm. And you know which one I saw? Uh, I think it was on 
Sunday evening. It was Chiellini's face and the words underneath, this is the history of the Rogers. Now, I think, obviously, obviously that's making reference to this is the history of the Tottenham. Yep. After Tottenham blew their chance to beat um, Juventus in the Champions League. And I do think it's kind of unfair. But whether we like it or not, whether we think it's fair or not, whether we believe in it or not, the narrative is starting to coagulate and to cement and to form that this is a side under Brendan Rodgers that can't get it done. And, and the fact that Brendan Rodgers described it as like one kind of long season, last season and this season, just makes it all the more kind of traumatic. And um, there's been no end to this for Leicester. And now you wonder, what does he do as a coach? Like, he's definitely got this team playing the football he wants them to play. This is not anything like the Claude Puel Leicester. This is Brendan Rodgers' team. They've made good signings. Fofana, Castagna, you know, I know it happened before Brendan Rodgers, he was already at the club, but Soyuncu, you know, they've, they've done good things. They have Tielemans in the middle of the park. This is a good side. And now you wonder, is there a psychological problem going into next season when they've had this kind of double trauma, compounded trauma? And um, yeah, 240 days, 242 days this season in the top four. That's longer than Manchester United on 155, Liverpool on 139. City only occupied the top four for 130 days. Chelsea, 102. It, this is this is staggeringly bad. And I don't want this to be a judgment on, on Leicester City as a club, but this is bad. Yeah, I, yes, yes, it is. I, I just have one more, one more point to make on, on Leicester, really, because... This is a home record issue too. Rob Tanner was writing in The Athletic and he said that they're 10 points worse off than their away record. Like that is bad. They've lost nine times at home. That is not good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think of one loss. You, if they had one more win and I, I look at the last run of games and where's that one more win coming, Andrew? It's at home to Newcastle and they conceded four. They were mm -hmm. four nil down. Just, just incredible. Collapsed. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a season that is forever confusing in terms of how you look back on it, because of course they do have that FA cup uh, to fall back on. And look, it wasn't just, th this was a special FA cup victory for them. They beat Manchester United in route to, to getting there. They beat Chelsea in the final, um, you know, so it's not like they had a series of, you know, non-league sides to get through. Like this was, this was a special memorable victory for them. But it does, you know, this end of the season and the way that this played out, it, it does kind of change the, the color of, of the season for them. There's, there's just no way around that. I don't care I, what I they think, say. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's not that they made a last gasp charge. If, 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 if with like five games left, we were looking at, hey, Leicester are creeping up the table. Are they in with a shot here? And they don't do it on the last day, but they still have the FA Cup. That's different. This is like, this is like holding something precious in your hands only to drop it at the last minute. Yeah, there's always that image I think of with uh, it back in the Winter Olympics. I forget what year and I forget who it was, but there was a snowboarder, uh, a women's snowboarder who was leading. It was over and she did some showboat like 360 to try to get across the finish line and she fell and wound up losing. And I feel like that's now Lester two years in a row. The finish line is there and they just fall. I, I, I remember a French rugby player 
Andrew zigzagging through the English defense. I think it was England or Wales in the Five Nations back in the day, way back. And it's the most unbelievable, like bracing, skillful run. And he's wiggled all his way through. And he gets just inside the, the touchdown or over the line. So you, you have to touch, you have to ground the ball. It's not mm -hmm. good enough to cross the plane in rugby. And he has it in one hand and he drops it. Yeah. And that's what this feels like. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and it's funny too, um, because I had made a comment uh, after they won the FA Cup that it was huge for them specifically because of what it, it means, how it almost validates an era, how they hadn't gotten one before. Like that was not just, like I said, that was not just some FA Cup win. That was a truly special one for this club specifically. But I had said that if it were me and I'm deciding between the two, which by the way, you don't have to do less. Like, I feel like everyone keeps doing that with Lester here. They keep saying, oh, but I'd rather have that FA Cup than the Champions League. You had both. Like it didn't need to be an either or, but whatever. That's besides the point. I had said I think I would have rather top four, and I I got it from people for that. People were I don't think were were on board with that, which I kind of was like, okay, like that's a nice way of thinking. I wonder where has that been for the last decade when all I've heard from everyone is how the FA Cup doesn't mean anything anymore. But okay. suddenly when I decided to make that comment, everyone is, no, no, no. The FA Cup is everything. What? Where have you people been for the last 20 years? <laughs> when all I've heard is how the FA Cup is meaningless now. And again, like to me, that's been wrong. You and I have like the whole magic of the FA Cup thing. We make fun of it, but we also talk all the time about how much fun this competition can be seeing smaller sides get their chance, these, these away grounds and, and how cool a moment it can present and how it does mean a lot for some of these other clubs aside uh, from the big six. But I mean, geez, the way people have re have responded to this. All right. I guess the FA cup is back now, as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to hear these tropes being brought back next season from people that the FA cup is meaningless. Cause now it's back. It's bigger than qualifying for the champions league for a club like Leicester city. That's what we now know. Oh, don't be that. That's guy. What, that is how everyone is. JJ. Don't tell me that you've seen it. That's how people reacted to this. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I, I think, I think people reacted to old monetary boardroom blazer Andy, who was... No, well, people are still in the Super League mindset where they're down on all things having to do with the big clubs and European competition. We're that still, is true. We're still in that period of time, and so people aren't ready to... They, they want to be more romantic mm -hmm. and small club-minded as opposed to the big clubs and, and the ugliness that we've seen. So they I also, get that. Yeah, and it was it was Leicester's first, uh, first FA Cup in their history. They had the finals in the 1960s where they lost all of them. That's that's part of the story, too. I think we need to stop beating up on poor old Lester. <laughs> All right. Uh, you're right. Let's move on um, to some of the other clubs here. So I want to talk uh, quickly about Chelsea because they, more mm. than anyone, are breathing the ultimate sigh of relief after this because they were not good. They lost to Aston Villa in a game we thought they would have had to win. Um, and it just goes to show Chelsea will be a little bit difficult to, to fully talk about and judge until we obviously know what happens to them in the Champions League final. But JJ, the line between successful season and utter disaster is so thin and they are the shining example of it. Get to an FA Cup final, lose it, battle their way back into the top four and nearly S themselves out of it. Get into a Champions League final and TBD, but they're not favorites. I mean, this season could have gone from the ultimate in, in Chelsea glory or it could have just as easily been the ultimate in Chelsea failure. They have been towing this line, and it's been fascinating to watch, and it makes it very hard to judge what kind of season this has been for them. 
There was a point uh, on Sunday, Andrew, where they were not going to make top four. They'd lost the FA Cup final, obviously. And, and you know, they go into a Champions League final with their season on the line and possibly lose to Manchester City. And someone tweeted, um, who replaces Tuchel in August? And, uh, you know, I had a laugh at that. But seriously, you know, Carlo Ancelotti did a league and cup double and didn't get to see the next season. So or saw part of the next season and got sacked. Um, so, you, look, that's that's just the nature of the beast. That's the nature of Chelsea. Tuchel basically said, and I think he was right, that the performance was nowhere near good enough. But overall, on, on the course of the work that they've done since he came in in January, they were they are where they are and they deserve to be there. And I think that's that is a fair comment to make right now. But the thin line and also I've seen a lot of Chelsea fans, the Chelsea fans that, you know, don't have the badges in their in their avatars on Twitter, the ones that are actually, you know, proper Chelsea fans and 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 follow the team. Um, they're just worried about a loss of that intangible we call momentum that maybe this team under Tuchel has peaked a tiny little bit too soon. And now they go into this final a little bit uh, low on confidence. But I, I honestly believe, and we'll talk about it later when we preview the Champions League final, it's really about taking chances. And this is a team, Andrew, that doesn't have an out-and-out goal scorer in its ranks, despite the $200 million that's been spent. Despite, despite Pulisic, Havertz, Werner, um, Ziyech, uh, who else am I missing out on there? Giroud. Although Giroud has six goals want, in the championship. If you want to throw team. in Tammy Abraham. Tammy would... Abraham. Um, they don't have an out-and-out goal scorer. Their top scorer this season has seven goals. And that's Jorginho. So, yeah, I, I, think, the, I think the worries, when we, t- when we spoke to Liam Toomey uh, two weeks ago about Chelsea, the great turnaround in their season since Tuchel has come in, I still think that the same issues remain with this team. And um, you wonder, will they finish the chances, the big chances they need to, to finish to get the job done with all eyes, obviously, on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, the, this comment I'm about to make carries an enormous asterisk with it. But for me, as I, as I sit here now and I look at this Chelsea season, I cannot call this a good season for them. I mean, this team, knowing what we know now about how good their defending wound up being when that was their biggest question mark leading into the season, um, you know, they should have absolutely been a part of this title race. I mean, Manchester City were excellent. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, Man City wind up with 86 points this season. Like, that is not a number where no one should have been contending alongside of them. And I look at Chelsea and I see how much money was spent and I see the names on that team. And I just think, you know, 58 goals is not enough for God a club like what, that. If- if that's the case, God knows what you think of Manchester United season where they finished second and yet only five points ahead of Liverpool. But I think on, but I mean, you're right, but I believe that on, again, on paper, I think that this Chelsea team should have been better than Manchester United. So like 58 goals for Chelsea, eighth most West Ham Leeds should not be scoring more goals than this Chelsea side with what, like you said, with what they spent to boost their attack. I don't think there's any question. No question. Um, this, this, and, and also just, I, I feel as if watching Chelsea lately, it's this never-ending loop of uh, Timo Werner being either offside or scuffing a good chance. It seems to be a real, real problem for them right now. And it's kind of not what you want. So he, no, it's not Joe Girardi. He's an interesting one. I, I was going to talk about him in the Champions League final preview, but you know what? While you bring it up, it probably makes more sense to touch on him here because he is the weird part of this season for Chelsea. 12 goals, 
I believe it was across all competitions. Um, but an XG around 20, like the margins between what he did and what he could have done yeah. like this club was really thin. He's sort of just like a microcosm of the team, all the disallowed goals, the narrow offsides, uh, you know, like no one was happy about his season, but he still led Chelsea in overall goal involvements. This is from talk sport, JJ. They wrote uh, prior to the final game of the season, Werner had scored just 10 of his 34 big chances this season at a disappointing conversion rate of 29.4%. To put that into context, every other striker at the so-called quote unquote big six clubs has taken at least 45% of their big chances. Um, I look at that and I actually, some people will say, wow, this guy is a horrible finisher, but I look at his past pedigree in Germany uh, and I look at that number there, scoring 10 out of 34 big chances. And I actually look at that and feel pretty optimistic about the future because that doesn't feel like who he really is to me. Some of that is bad luck. Some of that is poor form. Some of that, I'm sure, as the season progressed, was poor confidence. But what it does not feel to me is permanent. So I would look ahead to next season, and I would not be surprised if he took a big step forward for them next yeah. year. Yeah, and I actually think he is – one absolutely crucial component if Chelsea are going to win their second UEFA Champions League this weekend. And we'll get to that in the preview. I want to hold off a little bit on that. Okay. Uh, let's move now to Liverpool, who also do in the end get across the line. Um, and once again, this is a season that is a little bit difficult to judge, but they finished the year, JJ, for whatever they were, you know, a few months ago, they were not at the end. 32 points from a possible 36 to end the season. That is... That's how you get it done. I mean, that they were dealt this, this brutal hand with injuries. It took them a while, I think, to figure it out. Eventually they did, and the results followed. They had a shaky start at the weekend, but they clicked into gear, and you saw some of the kind of football that this team is capable of. Um, and it, 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 look, if you're going to do it that way, you can, you can see the joy uh, when Jurgen Klopp talks about this achievement. Because make no mistake, when we, when Liverpool drew at home to to Newcastle United there, what a month ago, um, mm -hmm. like I think Jurgen Klopp was resigned to the fact that they were completely up against it. And then you had the, you obviously had the drama along the way that adds spice to the story with Allison, who was adjudged to have, have have had the moment of the season. Imagine Manchester City are champions, but Allison's goal against West Brom is the moment of the season. According to NBC Sports, they, they, they played it as almost like a championship-winning goal, which was incredible. And I, I actually wouldn't argue with them. It was, it was such a moment. Um, there, there is one thing, and I, you know, I'm obviously a Liverpool fan, and it's easy for me to come on and say, yeah, that's the form, that's the real Liverpool, rah, 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 and do the cheerleading bit. But I do wonder, and I'm not the only person to have wondered this, so much time, Andrew, so much time spent Henderson at centre-back, you know, uh, putting in uh, Fabinho at centre-back, switching things around, gutting your midfield just to cover one or in some cases two centre-half positions where there was a real dearth of options. And you look at this run and you look at Nat Phillips and you look at Reese Williams mm -hmm. and you think, yeah, it's not perfect. Sometimes I think Reese Williams is an innocent bystander in a football match. He's like wandered onto the field. Sometimes when the ball goes over his head, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, you have to do something now. This is where you're on. Um, but generally speaking, when you look at the way Liverpool have got through it, 
with the shaky. I mean, they were quite shaky against Burnley at times. Very shaky, in fact. But this was robbing Peter to pay, to pay Paul. This was cutting off your nose to, to spite your face. It's obviously not doing that, but Clap got it wrong. That's the thing. And we spent, you wonder how many more points we'd have. Like five, we finished five points behind Manchester United. I know it's not a vintage United team by any stretch of the imagination, no matter what their supporters tell themselves. But we finished five points behind them in the end. And you, you have to wonder what would have happened if Clap had said, I'm just going to stick with what I have here. Centre-backs will play at centre-back. I know one of them was on loan last season. The other one a year ago was at Kidderminster Harriers. But just go with it. Don't ruin your midfield to try and sort out a problem at the back. That's, that's my thoughts coming out of it. It's fascinating. I, I mean, you might, you might very well be right. The only question is whether or not at that stage in the season those players were ready to I come mean, they in got and, ready and do in, it. They got ready in fairly and fairly quick uh, smart i mean had they what did they have two senior appearances between them before the, this season i don't think so certainly not in the premier league and and then they come in and they they got organized and it was good coaching from Klopp as well i know i say he, get, he got it wrong but he, he put these two guys in and, and it's worked out down the stretch and i just thank god if we had if we had just said no we're not taking fabinho out no we're not taking henderson out what would have happened where would we be? Uh, how would that have affected Tiago, who's been much better in the last few weeks? So there's there's a lot of questions coming out of this, but obviously, you know, you got to be happy to to finish in the top four. Of course, of course, especially with the way the season looked for them for a long period of time. The, the thing I wanted to ask you about with Liverpool was whether or not, you know, with the way last season ended, how how short the off season was. Yeah. Um, you know, so that adds into this, but I wonder if they suffered a, a mild case maybe of Chelsea syndrome. And by that, I mean, remember Chelsea a few years ago, JJ, when they, they won the league in 15. Yeah. Um, and then we're like, uh, uh, like we thought this title defense from Liverpool was meek. What do people think of when Chelsea finished 10th in the table, when Stoke finished above Chelsea the year out, when, when they attempted to win their, their I, back-to-back titles. And then they came back, in 2017, just a year after finishing 10th and won the league again. Like, I just yeah. wonder, did it, did it take a lot out of Liverpool to win that title last year where a step back, injuries or not, was always going to be the case? Uh, you know, I, I think the last three years have taken a lot out of Liverpool. If you look at the average minutes since the Champions League final in 2018, I think it's been a cumulative effect. I, th- I definitely think that might be part of it, Andrew. I do. But when you see, when you see how much better they've been since they've just stopped tinkering with center back and just gone with God on it. Um, that's a major factor for me too. I, I do agree with that. I, w- I would just say the distinction between that Chelsea season was that the, that was late stage Mourinho in his second period. That was the Mourinho meltdown of 15, 16, where, where everything, the f- absolute floor fell out of that team. So, it was more than just that. Eden Hazard was just kind of like, well, he was in one of his off years, right? Where he went um, interrailing in Europe. Right. And as we kind of came to find out with Chelsea and him, as he went, they went as a club um, during that stretch of time. He was that good. Uh, a couple other things worth mentioning from the Premier League before we put it to bed until next week's Devunlings. Um, congratulations to West Ham, man. They qualify for the Europa League. And I think with them having finished 16th a year ago, up to sixth this year, 39 points a year ago, 65 this year. I mean, look, Man City won the league. Uh, Leicester won an FA Cup. You'd be hard pressed 
in my opinion, to find a club that had a more impressive season, I think, than what West Ham just did. And it's, and it's hard not to be impressed and happy for David Moyes. You know, I, I really, you look at his standing in, in the Premier League, he was coming back to West Ham for a second time. He'd already lost the West Ham job and they asked him back again. And compared to what they were last season, this season, they've just been brilliant. And I wonder, you know, I wonder how much COVID benefited West Ham United. So at the start of the season, you didn't have West Ham fans in the stadium. And that, that toxic kind of Sullivan Gold Brady out sense wasn't there in the ground. It wasn't permeating around the ground. And, and, you know, it's not like West Ham fans, even in the middle of this season, have been fully in on David Moyes. I remember them going to, was it in the cup? They went to Manchester United and lost like 1-0. And they slaughtered him for being like conservative against Manchester United, who were like this free-flowing counter-attacking team. So I think it was good that they actually didn't have West Ham supporters in the ground this season from the from almost from the start. Um, can West Ham keep their players now because of the depression in the transfer market due to COVID? So is it possible now that this gets better? Not gets better. I don't know how much better this can possibly get. It's pretty great right now for West Ham. But Suchek and Rice, you would expect to be gone. Now can they keep them? Maybe do a little bit of business in Europe. Maybe go on a bit of a run. Because I, I can't see anyone, maybe Chelsea, maybe maybe Manchester United, well, all, always Manchester United with their money. Um, I, don't see, I don't see anyone coming in with bumper money for Rice. And if they hang on to those players, maybe they can have another great season under Moyes. It's, it's been brilliant for them. It really has. Yeah, and they will have European uh, football next season because of it. Props to them. Uh, JJ Tottenham. So they do finish above Arsenal, which is good. No St. Totteringham's Day. Nope. It looked like there was going to be for a while, a couple times over the weekend, but they they fought it off each time. By the way, speaking like St. Totteringham's Day, is there anything for West Ham? Do they get to celebrate finishing above both Tottenham and Chelsea? Or not Chelsea, Tottenham and Arsenal? Like they, that, they just, that should mean something. They hate everyone yeah. so much that every day is like just this. I mean, the 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 envy or the sorry the the sense of superiority now is going to permeate over the summer. Go online, go online, Andrew, and you'll see what it's like. No, you'll I'm see good. They, they're definitely wielding their newfound status as the top dogs in the rest of London outside of Chelsea for sure. Well, they West Ham in the Europa League, Tottenham march proudly, JJ, into <laughs> the Europa Conference, in, into the unknown, into the conference, conference league play. For Spurs, not really what they had in mind. Um, no, the, the two big. There's a lot of questions for them heading into this um, this summer. This summer is going to. I don't know if any club will be shaped moving forward in in a way more profound than what they're headed for. Obviously, there's the manager that they. You know, Ryan Mason did. He did fine. I would say um, it wasn't. You know, he lost a cup final. Um, they they had some a couple bad performances, a couple good ones. Beating Leicester on the road in a game Leicester needed at the end of the season makes you feel at least somewhat positive about Tottenham. But then you start thinking more, and it you know it, it's Harry Kane who scores again for Spurs in this game. He played really well. It's Gareth Bale who comes on uh, and scores a couple goals for Spurs. And just like what is this team going to look like next season? We have no clue right now. I, I get the sense that uh, let's just deal with the Kane issue. I don't think he's going anywhere. Like, I can't see where he goes. If I mean, Manchester City, like the, 
the, the only thing that makes me think he'll go to Manchester City is that there's so much kind of talk about it. You know, it seems to be everywhere, but he's not going to Barcelona. He's not going to Real Madrid. He's not going to Chelsea. Daniel Levy will not have that. It will not be entertained. Can't, this is yeah. a gentleman's agreement as well. <laughs> the, the bottom line is that the gentleman's agreement is uh, in the in the legal sense meaningless compared to the actual contract that you've signed, Harry. So if Levy wants to stick his 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 feet in and say, no, you're not going anywhere, you're going to do one more season for us, then that will happen. So, yeah, I mean, Manchester United, could you see him working at Manchester United in tandem with with uh, Bruno Fernandes? Kind of could. Um, his link-up play this season has been so unbelievably good, his assists, that I can I can make a case for him fitting into the Manchester City team more seamlessly than I can with, say, Erling Braut Haaland. Uh, but I don't, think, I don't think it's happening. I hope this doesn't get ugly. I know we've talked about his professionalism. There's nothing that we've seen before that would lead us to think that he'd be anything but professional in handling this. I hope this doesn't get ugly because I, I think it can. He, you can see from the interviews he's given, Gary uh, Neville, from, from the way he kind of handled this goodbye. Like you could tell at the end of this game for him, it seemed like he was saying goodbye. Um, you know, the way players on Tottenham were kind of hugging him afterwards. It just, it felt like to him, this was the end. And once, once a guy mentally crosses that threshold, um, if the club says, no, it's not. And he yeah. mentally is gone. You know, he, we say he's always been professional. Well, he's never, he's never been in this kind of position. He's never before. been tested this. Yeah, but- we're going we're gonna to find out. And I hope it doesn't, I hope it doesn't go down that road. That would be unfortunate. Yeah. I, in fact, we need no more Kane talk because I feel it's going to be a summer of Kane talk. One note on Bale. Um, yes. So he, he comes on, scores a couple. I almost couldn't believe it when I saw the final numbers uh, after this game um, that Gareth Bale ends the season for Tottenham with 16 goals and three assists. Now that is across all competitions, but still. Like the guy, it felt like barely, I feel like I barely even saw him this season and he scored 16 goals. I would say that this was very much the Gareth Bale, Real Madrid experience um, where if you talk to Real Madrid fans and if you, you read stuff about Bale when he left Madrid on loan to come to Tottenham and Spurs fans were kind of mentally thinking, oh my God, Bale's back. And we're thinking about what that meant in terms of his time at Tottenham all those years ago. And Real Madrid fans are saying, you're not getting what you think you are. I would say they were, in the end, they were right. And by that, I mean, they all seem to say that there are games where he is out of this world good. And you you see that, that talent and that skill. And then there are games where he's just, he's not even there. He's there, but he's not. And I would say that, you know, you, you look at these cameo appearances, like over the weekend, how good he was. And then you think about a huge North London derby for Spurs at Arsenal and how for that game, a, a meaningful game, really important to their season and top four hopes. He's gone. He's nobody. He's nobody out on the pitch. So uh, it was it was that kind of year. 16 goals is nothing to sneeze at, but it was a it was kind of a weird time for him coming back. Yeah, I, I, I was surprised at that too. So I, I dug into the goals a little bit, if you'll indulge me, Andrew. Mm-hmm. And um, may, maybe this will change your perspective again. So three of those goals, of those 16 goals, came in the Europa League against Lask and Wolfsburger. He scored a goal against Wickham in the FA Cup. In the Premier League, he scored against Brighton, Burnley, Palace, Southampton, and a hat-trick against already relegated Sheffield United. The only top four team he scored against was Leicester on the final day. So... Um, 
that is that to me is not enough. It's, it's not enough reason to bring him back. Um, I, I I don't know if physically he can he can play every game if he can contribute in the meaningful way that someone of his exorbitant wages needs to. And I think that's a part of the problem too. Um, but when he's on, he's on. And uh, it just ha- didn't happen enough. And also, I should I should note, though, that these games were in the Mourinho era. And there was often times where I don't think um, being a Mourinho side that's not going to have much of the ball is not going to suit Garrett Bale at all. Yeah. And look, some of those goals, you're, I mean, you're right to list the competition. I, I suppose that matters. But, you know, his goal against Brighton was what, like an 85th minute winner? I mean, that was a, a huge goal. But like you uh, said, Andrew, look, he scores against Lask and Wolfsburg. Or when did you need the goals? When did you need him to be on fire? Um, didn't happen again away in Zagreb that, that night that haunts you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, didn't happen in the, in the North London Derby. And, and, and to me, that, that is a little bit indicative of a larger problem. But then again, like I said, well, Spurs weren't good. They didn't have enough of the ball half the time to make the, the difference. No. Although and and watching, it, their, watching their defending in this game again, Davinson Sanchez just letting guys in behind him over and over again, led to yeah. both penalties. It was, they got a lot of work to do. They got a lot of work to do. Um, as for Arsenal, JJ, worth mentioning them as well. They did not, in the end, take that step forward this season that they were hoping for. So, mm. I mean, so what now? If you're well, the, the only thing I'd say is that Arsenal fans are, are clinging on to this, and, and it is something. Um, we have the perception, particularly going out in the semi-final of the Europa League to, to Villarreal, that this was a disastrous season for Arsenal in, in the whole. But only Manchester City and Manchester United have more Premier League points than Arsenal since Christmas. They haven't been nearly as bad as people think in the league. And that is the, that is the glimmer of hope. Now, there are They're things finished. behind the I scenes mean, that, that... That's all fine and good. They're finishing eighth. I know. I know. I know. I'm just saying. I'm trying. I'm trying to give ba- uh, a bit of balance here to it. And and if you're looking for hope for next season, you're looking at things like that. Personnel wise, they need to do something in the summer. They don't have the money to do it. They have players on high wages that are. They need to move on. And um, what they need desperately, because you're right. I don't know what these huge transfers that that Arsenal can make. I don't know what those are right now. No. What they desperately need is a season where. Uh, guys like Saka and Smith Rowe take yes. a, a giant leap forward and yes. become genuine, genuine stars like that. That's what needs to happen. And then that will maybe prop the club up. That might make them more of a destination where other players from around Europe will once again, see Arsenal as a club they want to play for. But right now, like they, they, they kind of have to look within and really hope that those young players materialize into genuine superstars. Totally agree. Uh, and then finally, JJ, our ode to Manchester City. Congratulations to them on hoisting the title. It was uh, this has been over for a, a, a many weeks now, which is again props to them. They left no doubt this season, coming back from the disappointment of a year ago, and they still have a chance to claim the treble. Um, well, we'll find out what happens next week. It's not uh, the treble; it's a treble. Well, all right, not win the FA Cup. Well, the League Cup, which is. Yes, it's a treble, Andrew. Come on, let's not let's not down in in this month of the release of Fergie's film, mm-hmm. which is centered around the treble. Let's not let's not get this thing wrong. Uh, Sergio Aguero, I'm assuming we're not going to see him in the Champions League final. I don't know that. I suppose it's possible, uh, but we've now seen the end of him in the Premier League, which is where he has been one of the great stars that the Premier League has seen. 
in the Sheikh Mansour era, where where do you rank him for Manchester City? He's the best. I agree. He's the best they've had, in my view. Um, absolute top elite level striker. Um, at the weekend, broke the record for single goals for a club in a Premier League in in the Premier League, surpassing Wayne Rooney. Uh, he's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He's he's the best signing that they made. Um, well, hands down. I wonder if we ha- I, I I made my top three here. I have no stats to back this up. It's purely on my own feel and intuition. So take that for whatever it's worth. But I had Aguero as my number one for City in this era. Then I had De Bruyne two and David Silva three. Huh? How, that, how did that sound? Read them again. Aguero, right? De Bruyne, De Bruyne. David Silva. Um, who am I forgetting? I, Aguero. De Bruyne, Silva, yeah, yeah, Torre, uh, Fernandinho. If they, if they're to, if they're to win the Champions League at the weekend, Ruben Diaz will be straight in there for me. <laughs> straight what? in. I'm t- in the entire Mansoor era. Yes, you're saying what one a- one season of Ruben Diaz unseats these guys the f- for what, what they what they've achieved the- over the course oh, of like unseat, years. Unseats David Silva. Yeah, he goes into third. Absolutely for me. Unbelievable signing. I don't even know what to do with a comment like that. What, you do whatever you want with it, Andrew. I don't care. That's how I feel. He's been absolutely brilliant, and he's changed that team. Uh, uh, Ruben Diaz has been a brilliant signing for them. He's, he's going to be the P- PFA Player of the Year, Football Writers Player of the Year, and if they win at the weekend, he's going to win a Champions League, a Premier League, and a League Cup in his first season. He, along with many other excellent players on that team, you're making it sound like he has just done this. Uh, David Silva, thank you for all your work and hard years at this club, all the trophies and titles you've won. Uh, But Ruben Diaz was here for a season, so you're now not what he was. Okay, if it's not if it's not Silva and it's not Diaz that you put in there as their best signings in this era, who else is there? Uh, Their best signings in this era. Outside of that, probably have to consider Raheem Sterling. Okay. Um, Ederson. I was about to say, would you consider Ederson? Probably. Uh, who are we forgetting? Riyad Mahrez is a tough one because it feels like at first that wasn't great, and now it is. I don't know. I'd have. Can, can I think more about it? I'm, look, I'm not saying Ruben Diaz. He's been unbelievable. Like he's worthy of all of this stuff that he's no, being you're awarded right off. now. You're slagging him off. The, the incredulity. No, I'm slagging him off that. because an entire career of David Silva is not unseated by a, a great season from Ruben Diaz. It's just not. <sighs> all right. That's about all I have for the Premier League, JJ. Do you well, have anything else? Yeah, I have a couple. I have a couple of things. Um, Guardiola breaking down was was quite something in the interview with Sky at the end of the game. Uh, it, I, I got to ask you this. So, so Guardiola is asked by um, by Sky Sports, you know, um, what about Aguero? And he, he can't keep it together. He just he just he's crying. He's sobbing, telling, saying that he's irreplaceable. Uh, there was such a, a depth of emotion. Uh, I didn't expect to see it, considering that you know. He's slowly but surely erased his position at Manchester City over the past two to three years. But however, um, I, I was surprised by it. And I'm not saying it's not, not genuine at all. But to see Guardiola quite like that, it was, um, it was quite something. It really was. Uh, He's an emotional other, guy, Pep. Yeah. Yeah. But this was beyond. This was like, I can't speak kind of emotion. And uh, he cannot be replaced. He cannot be replaced. And just through tears. But it was this 
touching emotional moment, I'm sure, for Manchester City fans. Blaring in the background, the music was Jump Around by the House of Pain, which is like, I'm trying to think of great films, great cinematic moments that would have been ruined in the same way by the wrong music. You know, obviously the Tannoy at the city of Manchester Stadium wasn't playing Jump Around on purpose, you know, for this to fit this moment. It just happened, but it was kind of funny. Yeah, like um, maybe as uh, you know, Humphrey Bogart is saying, "Here's looking at you, kid." Yeah, Rebecca, Rebecca Black's "Friday" is playing in the background. <laughs> Changes the mood slightly. Or "Enter Sandman" by Metallica. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, um, one final thing that I thought was kind of interesting: a, a team that has been oft mentioned on this podcast, but uh, not. Maybe they'll come up with the Devundlings next week. Uh, the XG Philosophy uh, tweeted this out. Brighton finished the season with the largest disparity between points, 41, and expected foot points, 61.47, of any team since our records began. So they would have fi- finished in the Arsenal region. I'm trying to figure out what that means for them. Is it so bad ex- luck or is it horrifying finishing where they Horr- just need to go out and get a striker? Horrifying. Somebody else needs to play that position for them. Uh, horrifying finishing. Yeah. If you watch them, they you can't. Those of us who, who've watched them and thought, God, they're good. They, they play really good football and then watch them miss chance after chance after chance after chance. I mean, even when they bet Tottenham away from home, like Aaron Connolly came up with one of the, I know it was a great save by Toby Alderweireld, but one of the, the great misses with the, ga- with the goal gaping. Just do anything except hit it at the big Belgian in the middle, you know? Yeah. Um, by the way, expected points measures how many points a team should have accumulated from each match based on the scoring opportunities that they created and conceded in those matches. Nobody who's watched Brighton would would think uh, any different about this. And you wonder what what happens with Graham Potter now. I think he, I don't think he's going to get the the big jobs that people are expecting. Uh, There's been some talk game. of Tottenham. That would I don't surprise see. me. I can't see it. I wouldn't Not hate it, it. I wouldn't hate it if it happened. No. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm a bit of a Potterite. So um, well done to him in the virtual table. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I have anything else. Uh, I, I guess I should say something for Newcastle. Uh, this season looked like it was headed for disaster. By no means am I calling this a good season for them, but right now they're kind of in a state where any season where they stay up and aren't nervous the last week or two of the season is a good season. Uh, so Steve Bruce, he did figure it out in the end. Um, they finished 12th, right? Yeah. And a, a, an amazing, amazing season for uh, Marcelo Bielsa and Leeds United mm-hmm. who finished ninth and um, considering the squad, considering the money that they've spent, that is incredible. Absolutely incredible. What, what an amazing thing they've done. And by the way, if you get a chance to look at the Tom Orville from the athletic has a graph on, um, on the running, basically the running stats for the premier league, Andrew, it's ridiculous. There's, there's these teams and then there's City and Liverpool, a couple other teams kind of bunched together on the graph. And then there's Leeds who are like at the moon. So well, I was go- it's funny you say at the moon, because when I was looking at it, I was going to make a solar system analogy. It's like when I look at a picture of like the planets and like Leeds are Pluto, essentially. It's like you, you see all the planets and the asteroid belt and the sun and all that. And you're like, what's that one all the way over there? Oh, that's Pluto. <laughs> Like leads are not, they're barely on the tape, like on this chart. They're so far from everyone else. It's it crazy. Re- it, with the Twitter has removed its cropping function on photos. It automatically cropped photos for years. 
um, it would have cropped that graph and Leeds wouldn't be on it at all. Right. Yeah. That's how far away they are. Um, we'll have much more, of course, on the Premier League when we do our Devonlings next week. Next week, the podcast, I can already tell you, will be a, a, a Champions League final recap. Unless that winds up becoming a special emergency podcast, I guess we'll have to see how it plays mm. out. And the Devonlings, I'm so excited for for the Devonlings to be back in the in the form in which we know and love them. JJ, it should be it should be a lot of fun. We are uh, the Player of the Year, Game of the Year, Goal of the Year, Manager of the Year, all that stuff. We'll we'll hand them out. I might actually wear it, it, I might wear a tux for it. I know I've talked about it before, but if we really do the podcast together in studio again, I think I might tux out for it. Oh, let's let's make that happen. I will come in in a very smart Italian suit. So, oh, you'll go suit, and I'll have a tux. That's yeah. Those photos are going to be very non-symmetrical. I don't know. I mean, we're already going to restaurants and ordering the same thing. Now we have to dress the same. Good point. What's going Good on. Point. Elsewhere around Europe, JJ got to start in Spain. It's Atletico Madrid who take home the title. Um, I will say this about it: I don't care what it looked like. Uh, I don't care how hairy it got for them. I don't care if this happened because of the faltering of other clubs around them, perhaps. Uh, I don't care about any of those things. Barcelona and Real Madrid are titans of this sport. And while Atletico Madrid are also a Super League club, they are not Barcelona and Real Madrid. And any season where they are able to finish atop that table above those two sides, doesn't matter what it looked like. It's an amazing achievement for them. I apologize to everyone out there a few weeks ago when we were suggesting that Diego Simeone's job could be in jeopardy, uh, and we had written them off. Essentially, we were both picking Barcelona, who wound up finishing well behind in third. Um, we were wrong, and I feel bad for Simeone's name even kind of being dragged into that conversation. Um, I understand why it was, but it just... To see them having done this now, it provides that little bit of extra perspective where I sort of think, wait a minute, like, look what they're going up against here. You know, it was never going to be easy. And I know that the road that they took to get to this point was was a kind of an ugly one over the last few months, considering where they were in January. But it, to me, it doesn't matter. It's an amazing achievement to beat those two teams. It certainly is. Um, I was reading Dermot Corrigan and... Uh... <laughs> Dermot said that apparently uh, Atleti have their own Boston-like curse, like the curse of the Bambino, which has obviously now been broken, but uh, it's called El Pupas. Um, mm. And so they, which is kind of interesting because it's not that long since they last won a league title. No, but, it's um, only been what, seven years? Six, seven years. Uh, so when they frittered away that 10-point lead at the top, apparently they thought that was happening again and they were they were invoking the name El Pupas. Um, but no, uh, they came good. I was delighted for them. I was particularly delighted for Luis Suarez, who is the, I know he's not your favorite, Andrew, but he's one of my favorites, um, despite his many, many transgressions. Uh, but it's the power of a, of a scorned Suarez. Um, because I'm, I'm convinced. Uh, I read a Wright Thompson piece in the World Cup in 2014, which, which talked about his drive out of poverty and how everything he does is like this kind of, almost like a feral animal trying to defend its family that's sometimes much, literally sometimes literally and i think when he's angered he's driven by anger um often and now and now that i guess his family has got to the point where he, he's a multi multi-millionaire they're set everything's fine he needs a new source of ignition and i honestly believe that that was the barcelona board and ronald koeman in in the last few days this is what uh, suarez said to uh i think it was marca 
Um, the, uh, oh, no, this is from ESPN. Excuse me. Uh, this is uh, him complaining directly about Ronald Koeman. Koeman's words were, they, the directors, told me to tell you. Uh, Suarez told radio station Cope on Monday, I was made to train separately from the first team and left out of the squad for the three friendly so this is about his exit from barcelona then kuman said that if my future was not resolved he was counting on me for the first game of the season against Villarreal. that is when you see that he didn't have the character to tell me that he didn't want me himself and then he has a go at former president bartomeo firstly the president i will always be grateful to the club but they used me he said everything in the press instead of phoning me personally to say the club didn't want me why did he not call me directly they phoned when they wanted me to convince Messi to stay and to speak with Griezmann about signing. They should have explained the situation to me. So this guy is, uh, you know, he's bearing some grudges and I honestly think he channeled it into his performance this season. And Yeah, um, yeah I would took, say so. He took that crucial goal at the weekend so well on his left foot, rolled it home, whipped it, uh, whipped it with his left foot inside the near post. Congrats to him. 21 goals this season, but... Not all goals, like you mentioned, some of Bale's goals. How you know maybe they're they're a little bit hollow. Um, Eleven of Suarez's twenty-one goals this season were game-winning goals. The goal that ended up being that's, the margin of victory. Um, Suarez just... broke he broke a tie with Bayern Munich's Robert Lewandowski, who had ten of those, and who scored forty-one league goals this season. Um, Suarez scored thirty-one percent of his team's goals this season for Atletico Madrid. He's thirty-four years old. He had been written off by Barcelona, the club, one of the two clubs that Atletico beat out for this title. It's regardless of what I think of him. You're right. I don't love. He'll, he'll never be listed among my favorite players. I acknowledge how great he is. He's just not one of my personal favorites. But I can never deny. No one can ever deny the role that he played in Atletico achieving what they just did. And his personal story and all that personal animus that you just laid out between him and Barcelona, especially when you see Griezmann going back the other way, the player who Suarez is kind of filling his shoes right now at Atletico Madrid. It's an amazing story. There's no way around that. Incredible. So yeah. props to him, man. And props to them as a club. One other guy who might be a little bit less heralded, but um, just because of the position he plays, but deserves mentioning Jan Oblak, uh, goalkeeper. Um, I wanted to mention this about him. The Slovenia national posted a 79.8% save percentage on 103 saves made this La Liga season, the highest percentage by a keeper in Europe's top five leagues with at least 80 saves made. Uh, wow. Oblak won the Zamora trophy to the goalkeeper with the best goals to games ratio in La Liga for the fifth time, equaling the all-time record in the competition. He is a stud. Um, and in a team like that, which relies on their defending, you know, defense will always be good, but when you're defending that much, there's going to be chances that, that are put on net. You can't really play that Diego Simeone style. If you don't have someone in goal that is reliable and he is very much that guy and much like Suarez at the front, if they didn't have all black in the back, I don't know that they're celebrating this today. So props to him as well. Totally agree. Um, between Barcelona and Real Madrid, I mean, this is a podcast unto itself, so you don't have to go deep here. Who, who do you view as better suited moving forward to unseat Atletico and reclaim a spot at the top? I, I'm, I'm not sure, actually. It, it's funny. I think Barcelona, but it's hard to know at this point. The summer's going to tell a tale, but the early indications are like Modric resigned today for two years yeah. at Real Madrid, which suggests to me, and as you were, um, status with the with the big two in Spain, maybe no big signings, probably no big signings because of money. So maybe Atleti get a chance to to stay in that kind of 
in that conversation. Maybe they get a chance to retain their trophy. I don't know. I honestly don't know who's best. Personally, I think it's I think Barca. I think Barca have more younger uh, players coming through, um, but I don't know. Yeah, there's variables to this. Obviously, Messi and his future is the is the biggest variable. Um, Feels like he's not going anywhere now. Yeah, I mean, if that was my, if I were guessing today, that would be my guess is that mm. he would stay. Um, and then, you know, Real Madrid are going to do something. Like, there's talk, you know, who knows? But there's talk about Eden Hazard wanting to leave. Um, is you know Mbappe still a possibility? Can Real Madrid afford him? God, Andrew, the money. It's I know, just... but they're gonna like they're it's Real Madrid. I just have to believe that they're gonna do in a year like this where they didn't do well in the Champions League, where they finished second um, to a team, by the way, in Atletico, who while deserving eighty six points is the fewest points to win this league since Real Madrid won it in 0506. So I think Real Madrid will look at that and think that you know this is an opportunity missed to have won this this title. So something's going to happen. Something big, I would assume, happens in the off season. Um, but you're right. I don't. It's, I don't know. Right now, I would. I, I also kind of think Barcelona, but that's hard for me to say. Barcelona. It's worth mentioning too. Um, finishing outside of the top two for the first time since 07-08, when Real Madrid won it ahead of Villarreal, whom we will mention in mere moments. Indeed. Um, one quick note on Italy, Juventus in the end do sneak into a Champions League spot. <sighs> Boy, they, they took the scenic route. But, yeah, uh, and they got and, there and got a lovely helping hand from Napoli. I mean, Gattuso went into the final game of the season against Verona knowing that a victory would get them into the top four. And they ended up with a 1 1 draw. Mm. Um, and so that was the end of Gattuso at Napoli. And um, at back to Retiro. <laughs> <laughs> um, De Laurentiis, the chairman. Dear Reno, I am happy, happy to have spent almost two seasons with you. Thank you for your work. I wish your success wherever you go. A hug also to your wife and children. This was on Twitter. So it's kind of a, a nicer end than most managers get. Uh, but yeah, Gattuso, that one Coppa Italia aside, I don't know, just feels like a Retiro filled speaking to the ultras from a balcony period of I don't know. Sarri could be on his way back. That's what they're saying. So, uh, Ronaldo's time at Juventus is going to be judged very strangely. I don't know that it's over. He put up a message on Instagram that led some people to think he was kind of saying a goodbye to the fans. Um, in, in the end, 29 goals. He, uh, he is the leading goal scorer in Italy at age 36. Nothing to sneeze at. Um, but I don't like were the results what you would hope they would be. No, when we found out he was going there, and what was the answer bought? is decidedly no. Yeah, what was he bought to do? He was bought to solidify the position in in Italy, and and obviously to win the Champions League. And the humiliation this season of going out to Porto is is still there. And also, Andrew, just the amount of resources and energy and money you put into one player, and it just it filters throughout the side. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how his legacy is going to be judged, depending on 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 where he goes. Before we get out of Italy, Andrew, Inter. I just want to say congratulations to Inter. We have talked around the fact that they are champions mm. a lot on this podcast, and we haven't said well done to Inter, to Antonio Conte, in a hugely challenging season where at some points the players weren't being paid and were asked to take deferrals because of the, what can only be described as financial mess and distress that they find themselves in. I believe there's a huge American uh, hedge fund has bailed them out. So, um, 
So there we go. Barcelona and Inter are now in the grips of um, American investment right now. But um, yeah, congratulations to Inter and congratulations to Roberto, who is a 56-year-old from Milano who moved to Melbourne, Australia a long time ago. And he, he reached out to us um, after Inter pretty much clinched the title and also to say that he listened to our ESL uh, emergency podcasts and uh, told us we did a fantastic job, even though we don't do enough Serie A, which we do yeah, admit we, we don't do is, that. But. I concede that. But congrats to all the Inter fans out there because um, Andrew has, uh, he's ignored you in the rundowns and uh, I'm here to put that right. Well, you really are a hero, aren't you? <laughs> it was fun to see. I mean, there are guys who went there um, in like Romelu Lukaku, I feel like was in an interesting place when he went off to Inter. Because uh, his time at Manchester United had left something to be desired. Um, and now he goes to enter. He's sensational. I mean, there are people you talk to who watch them on a week-in, week-out basis who say his name should be right back among the top of the list for best strikers in the world. Mm, sure. And so, like, now we see we'll, – we'll see what that means for him back with Belgium. If, once again, like, he is going to be one of those guys who you just can't take your eyes off of. In a, in a major European tournament this summer. You know, and, and personally, I was happy to see Christian Eriksen do this as well. His time at Tottenham ended terribly, and he went to Inter, and it was not always easy for him there. There were times when there was even rumors of him going back to Arsenal or a club in the Premier League because he couldn't seem to find a spot and Inter. And in the end, he did play a role for them, and uh, so I was happy to see that as well. Um, and yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Props to them. I got nothing against them. I don't mean to make it sound like this is like something. No, no. Like I've been avoiding it, this. Ah, no, no, no. I was. I like joking. Inter. I I like Inter too. I just think you know the 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 state of things. Like to to be a champion and have this much kind of hanging over your head. Like they don't know if Conte is going to be there next season. They still have to sort out a lot of things. There was talk that they players that have to take wage deferrals, things like that. That's not good. That's not what you want to see. Do you want to see the Juventus monopoly broken up? Of course you do. It's 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 good that it's broken up, but it does matter how it's done. And um, mortgaging the future of a, of a huge club like Inter Milan is, for me, not the way to do it. But look, they are where they are, and uh, their owners have a lot to answer for. Uh, let's see, JJ. Do the mailbag in a sec. Before that, uh, the Champions League, of course, is coming up. Manchester City and Chelsea. Um Obviously, we'll have much more in depth on that game after it happens. But in the build up to it, uh, you know, a couple of questions come to mind leading into this. Chelsea's recent form has not been, you know, if we were talking about them after the Champions League semifinals, we'd be having a much different conversation. Um, their form currently, does it matter leading into a game like that? Um, I think it does. Uh, we thought that. You know, we subscribe to the view that having beaten Manchester City twice already this season, that confidence will be up. Well, let's just look at the last few weeks for them. Confidence should be down then if we're if we're if we're going to follow that through to its logical conclusion. I think I think that that Chelsea actually can hurt Manchester City because Chelsea are well set up to defend deep, to not have a lot of the ball and to play on the break. And that's what I wanted to allude to earlier when we were talking about Timo Werner. I think he can really hurt Manchester City in behind. We've seen that before, those runs from deep. When is Werner seemingly at his least um, incisive? That's when there's a, a low block team, a team that's, that's going to sit in. He's going to struggle against sides like that. There will be space in behind, like there was in the FA Cup semi-final. There will be place 
for Werner to attack. And I think Chelsea could be really dangerous on the break. Having said that, the big thing is their inability to finish the chances that they create. I'm very curious about what formation, or not formation, but what lineup he goes with. I'm expecting Havertz to start. I'm not expecting Christian Pulisic to start. I would start Pulisic. Um, it's a cup final though, Andrew, so I don't want to put too much on, on recent form, but hopefully Tuchel got into the dressing room after the Villa game and kind of said, look guys, that's it. The season's over. Forget about everything else. It's one game now. 90 minutes, that's it. Go out and express ourselves and play the game we want to play and try and park everything else. Uh, but I think... Um, I think Chelsea have a, I think Chelsea have a real chance in this. And I don't know. I know we do know how much better that defense, that Manchester City defense is. It is much better. They are much more resilient, but I still think Chelsea can get at them. City's still the overwhelming favorites for me. Two big things come to mind for me with Chelsea leading up to this game. Unfortunately, you get to this stage of the season, it's impossible for injuries to not play a role. And Chelsea are dealing with two really, really important ones. Um, Edward Mendy went out after colliding with the post. Right. It sounds like he, su- he he did not suffer a serious injury there. And so we don't know for sure at this point. My guess is he will be able to play. Uh, having seen Kepa at the beginning of the season, I would tell you that it matters greatly who is in net for the Champions League <laughs> final. And then aside from that, you know, all the time, it's so interesting, JJ, when we talk about Chelsea, um, it, you know, we talk about Werner, Havertz, we go to the back, we talk about, you know, Aspilicueta, Tiago Silva, some of these. The best player on this team very well might be N'Golo Kante. Like, he's such a proven winner everywhere he goes. He seems to rise to these occasions, whether, whether it was with Leicester City, with, with France. I recently saw uh, a piece on Twitter of Paul Pogba just like incessant in his praise of what N'Golo Kante means to a team. And he is out currently with a hamstring injury. Um, his status, they hope that he'll be able to train on Wednesday and his status for the, the Champions League final is right now, up, it's up in the air. That's huge. It's just, for me, that is absolutely massive for him to be that guy who can kind of just be a destroyer in the midfield and break up Manchester City's attack moving forward. And immediately, like we always talk about with him, spring play back going the other way. If they lose that, if he's not there for them, that's tough. There's not really another guy who can do that job. It's kind of, he's sort of he's sort of a one man show when it comes to doing the things that he does best, and that will that will in some ways shape the way I feel about that final. Right now, I'm not sure exactly. I, I tend to lean Manchester City just because I think talent for talent, they're just the better team. Um, if I if I knew he was not playing, I'd feel a lot more confident saying Manchester City. His presence goes a long way in in how I feel about this game. It'll yeah. be interesting. Yeah, I'm. I really, I this part of me just wants to go bet on City uh, because it's obvious because they're the better side, the better unit. But I think there could be a sting in the tail in this one. Uh, in terms of the two managers, we've talked about them: Tuchel, Pep. Uh, fill in the blank for me, JJ. Between these two managers, there's more pressure on blank. Um, I think Pep Guardiola. I think Pep Guardiola. To, to win another European Cup, it's been how long since he won the last one. It didn't happen at Bayern Munich for him. Um, and to get over the line and be in a final now and to come up short would be, would be pretty devastating, I think, for him. Um, 
I think the pressure's on Pep. Is, I, this, is this a win or go like, home moment for Tuchel? Could he lose his job? He can lose his job because it's Chelsea. Yeah, he can. Uh, but I don't. That's I pressure. Don't, that is pressure. But I think Tuchel's in what since January. This is a a long term Manchester City project. This is a long term ambition to be European champions, and uh, it's been an ambition for Pep to do it with another side, to not do it with to do it without Messi as well. So, um, and to do it after the failures at, at Bayern Munich, the, where they came up short. So I, I, I just feel like Pep. If you were to pick a manager of the two, Andrew, who's most intrinsically linked with the European Cup, it's Pep Guardiola. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, to do it outside of his um, his home at Barcelona would be big, and um, and that's why I think the pressure's on him. Um, yeah, that's fair. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, Anything, JJ, the Europa League final, Manchester United, Villarreal. Um, Just a couple I, of things. Yeah. Um, Villarreal finished seventh in La Liga, unbeaten in European uh, play, league, Europa League play this season. So, And there's some familiar faces just littered throughout this team. So, obviously, Unai Emery is the manager. You have Pablo Alcázar up front, formerly of uh, Borussia Dortmund. Carlos Baca, the Colombian, who we all know when we, uh, when we see the World Cup and um, come around. Danny Pareo in midfield. Uh, Etienne Capoue as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Alberto Moreno. This is um, this is Moreno's. It's Villarreal's first European final. It is Moreno's fifth in seven years. It is third. It, it's his third final in this competition alone. So he had two Champions League finals with uh, Liverpool, and then he had um, he had Sevilla. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Three different clubs: Sevilla, Liverpool. And now Villarreal. So, again, Alberto Moreno, kind of a, I hate saying a joke, not a joke, that's not fair, but mm. kind of got blamed by Liverpool fans, not good enough as a fullback, needed to be replaced, probably all true. Got blamed for that Europa League final in 2016 for his performance where, you know, he had a rough night, but again, against Unai Emery Sevilla. But um, so Villarreal have reached a major European final for the first time in their history, Andrew. That's the 11th different Spanish side to do so. The previous two Spanish sides to reach a major European final for the first time also faced an English opponent in that match. Uh, it was the Alaves 4-5 Liverpool in 2001 and Sevilla 4 Middlesbrough and nil in 05-06. On each of the last nine occasions of a Spanish side facing English opposition in the European competition final, including the Super Cups, the Spanish club has won the match. The last to lose were Alaves against Liverpool in the 2000-2001 UEFA Cup. So that is a little uh, little scouting report on Villarreal. Um, this is certainly the competition that Unai Emery was born to win. <laughs> born to win Unai going, Emery, going sure. for his Going for his fourth Europa League title. Three with born Sevilla to, now looking for this one. Born to win, sure. The pressure on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to win this is enormous. Uh, especially after coming up short in the semi-final last season of this competition, they have to win this United. Um, the disparity in in wealth and talent between the two clubs alone means this is must must win for them. And losing this final would be a humiliation for Manchester United. They will likely be without Harry Maguire uh, and Anthony Martial. Uh, important, yes, yes, it, but it does not change it does not change the expectation for what they should like you said, what they should do here. No, it, it, it doesn't. It really doesn't. You can't look at either squad or the money spent on, on either squad and think that 
uh, anything less than victory for Manchester United is acceptable. And um, you wonder if they don't do it, then uh, what what happens to Ed Woodward's plan for Ole to continue? And um, well, I don't manager. think Ed Woodward's plan matters much anymore. Well, no, but it, it is his plan that he is there. That the reason he is there is this continuity that he wants and that he believes in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So um, whether Ed Woodward obviously is irrelevant to it now, but it's he's the one that installed him, Andrew. So there we there we go. Uh, should be fun. It should be fun, JJ. We will, of course, next week talk about um, both of the European finals. Mailbag. Let's round it out. Let's do it. Uh, Danny starts us off. Can we get our thoughts on the US USMNT Nations League roster? I have some thoughts. Uh, a few here. Okay, I'm sure. Let's see if they're in lockstep with me. Okay, I'll, I'll go quickly through this. But mm-hmm. uh, my initial thoughts, first of all, I, I couldn't remember if we mentioned this or not. So I'll, if, if we said it before, I'll say it again now. Uh, I feel sick for Aaron Long. I mean, he, I'm sure, would have been on this team, and he's going to miss this summer of soccer for the U.S., all the competitions. Um, But with that, you know, unfortunately for him, it is an opportunity for someone else, and that position is crowded. Now, Chris Richards would have been somebody I would have liked to have seen. He is out with an injury, uh, so now it's an opportunity for somebody else. And I think you have to be looking at John Brooks. He is, like, he's in. It's always going to be him and who. Now, John Brooks also has a minor injury. He is on this team. So to me, that says he's good enough. He's, he's healthy enough to play. Uh, so Mark McKenzie, Matt Miazga, this is, this is their chance, a huge chance for these two um, to potentially prove their worth and, and possibly be the guy moving forward to go alongside or at least battle with Chris Richards and Aaron Long when he comes back. Uh, another thing that stood out to me, obviously, like everyone else, I was a little bit surprised not to see Daryl DK's name. Uh, but I also think it's not a huge deal. He'll be in the Gold Cup squad. Mm. He's probably behind Sargent and Sibichu in the pecking order up front. Um, yes. So in the Gold Cup, he'll see more minutes and he will presumably have a chance to play his way into the World Cup qualifying squad. So, um, yeah, it, it's it stood out to me that he wasn't there. But by the same token, it it didn't feel like a big deal to me that he's not there. It doesn't mean that Greg Berhalter doesn't like him. Um, you'll see him this summer. I wouldn't worry. And one other interesting name on this squad, JJ. Can you tell me the most capped player on this squad? Who it is? The most capped player on the squad. Yeah. Um, I would say the most capped player on this squad. I'll just tell you. We don't. Is, have to. Hang on, hang on. Okay. The most capped player on this squad is Sebastian Leger. No, uh, it is not. Despite not featuring since November of 2019, DeAndre Yedlin. And his 62 caps. Wow. He's back after a uh, fairly successful season with Galatasaray. Um, it'll be interesting to see where he ranks on the depth chart. Is he like has Reggie Cannon passed him? Um, I would say there maybe. Uh, you know, Yedlin just like it's just funny. Who would have ever th- he, we thought he was pretty much just going to waltz to 100 caps for this team, and then his time at Newcastle just didn't quite go the way we had hoped that it would. Uh, and all of a sudden fullback, which was always a weak spot, it seemed for the U S it's crowded. Now there's a lot of names, but him seeing his name back in this squad, it means that he is being given a chance and they still do think highly of him. So I'll be curious if he gets a shot to continue to prove that he should be one of the guys that they consider at that position. So I was glad to see his name back. He's always someone that we've liked on this show. So it should be fun. It's going to be interesting. They play Switzerland on Sunday. 
in the uh, friendly, the warm-up to the Nations League semi-final and hopefully final. Uh, thoughts on the championship playoff final? Brentford and Swansea will play at Wembley on Saturday in the championship playoff final, the most expensive game in world football. We're always told about how much it could potentially earn the winners. Um, I've watched both legs of both semifinals. Swansea were, without blowing them out of the water, considerably better than Barnsley in the in, in the one leg. And then the other leg was crazy, was really up for grabs. Bournemouth and Brentford, and Brentford got it done uh, in, a, in an insane game at the weekend. So I, I actually, I fancy Swansea to do it. Um, Brentford are a good side, I think. I just fancy Swansea, I think. At the back, they look stronger, to me at least. Uh, Nocton had a very good game. Uh, Kyle Nocton had a very good game for Swansea. Uh, Grimes in midfield scoring a brilliant goal. Hurahan. And for Brentford, I just feel as if they may come unstuck here. Andre Ayew as well playing very well for Swansea in these, uh, in these playoffs. So, Swansea to shade it slightly from what I've seen, but you never know. It's uh, it could be really exciting. And on another note, the League One uh, playoff we were all watching was obviously Lincoln and Sunderland. Would Sunderland book a fourth season in League One, or would they get into the championship uh, through the playoff? No, they're out. So they are. We're going to have Sunderland till I die, until every one of us die. Wow! Because they're never going to get out of League One at this pace. Ah, that's not fair, but. Yeah, they came up short against Lincoln. Um, Danny Green. Okay, guys, you're going to have to... What's up? The Sixer? I'm was... sorry. I'm in an NBA playoff mindset. Danny Green is a key part of their, the Sixers. Continue. Okay, well, um, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I forgive you. Uh, you you got to help me out here as well. Okay, guys, I can't believe you didn't mention either kicking and screaming or the big green as quality fictional soccer movies. The Big Green is classic and kicking and screaming is hysterical. Come on, guys. Um, so the Big Green... Um, I, have, I, I haven't seen... What is the Big Green? It, these are, it was a kid's movie, essentially, uh, oh. where, uh, about a, like a youth soccer team. Um, yeah, funny. I don't know. I have no strong feelings on it. Kicking and screaming is an interesting one because it it's is funny. Status. It is definitely funny. Uh, Will Ferrell is funny in it. Mike Ditka <laughs> is funny in it. Oh, uh, but here's the problem for you and I. So it came out in 2005. Um, I was 21 at that time. JJ mm. was a, a, sh- a shade under 40 <laughs> at, when it came out. So while I did like that movie, definitely, uh. we can all agree that its target demographic was not 21 year olds. It was probably somewhere in the range between like nine to 14 year olds. Right. So like it's just going to be hard. Like I just age wise, I just kind of missed it for like being someone who would truly adore it. Uh, I like it when it's on. And you know, if I stick with it for a while, I do, I do laugh at it, but it'd be hard for me to list that among my, my favorites just because quality fictional. Yeah. Quality fictional soccer movies. I think Danny is, um, He's stretching it a bit there. And finally, uh, one more talking point. No Real Madrid players on the Spanish squad. The squads are dropping everywhere. We've just seen the English provisional squad uh, today um, with uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold in it, all the fullbacks in it. England are literally going to play 11 fullbacks. (laughs) Um, But anyway, um, we'll we'll get to that in due course over the coming weeks. Uh, No Real Madrid players on the Spanish squad for the first time ever. 
This is so shocking. I can't even believe that it's true. Uh, how can this happen? I, I mean, the manager has decided, by the way, to take 24 players, even though he can take 26. So that kind of... So, I mean, he had an option to bring along, say, like Asensio or even Sergio Ramos. So that's out. that's who we need to talk about, I think. Okay. So there's uproar over Sergio Ramos not being in the squad. Well, that's a, that's the question because I think this is down to a reliability issue. He's what? He's 35. He's been really ravaged with injuries this season. He's played one match since the end of March. Yeah. Like if all those things were true and we're talking about Virgil van Dyke, I might say, okay, you know what? Let's make an exception. The, the, the potential positives of him versus like the negatives, if he's truly hurt, it's worth it. Yeah. But like Sergio Ramos at 35 years old is not Virgil van Dyke. So Ooh. I, so I kind of get it, especially JJ also not helping him. I know Luis Enrique said these two things are completely separate and unrelated, but Emmerich Laporte's switch from France to Spain was just approved and Laporte is in this squad. Yeah. So like the need for a Ramos isn't quite there. It's just unfortunate because he's had such an amazing national team career for Spain. He's one of their all-time greats. And this, at his age, this might have been his last chance to play or even start um, at, at a major tournament because I don't know what his situation will be a year and a half from now at the World Cup. Uh, so it's too bad if it ends like this with him kind of just like right on the outside looking in with injuries potentially playing a role in his demise. Like I, I feel for him, but... Yeah, I also I also kind of get it. Um, Luis Enrique talked about it. He said it was a very difficult decision, but he's not been able to play this season and has hardly trained since January. I called him on Sunday. It was hard. It's difficult. I feel bad because he's very professional and he helps the national team a lot and he can still help it in the future. But I have to look at the best for the squad. Um, that's interesting that he made a point of saying in the future for someone of Ramos's age. This is so. This is not a retirement that Ramos is being forced into, um, but. I do, I do get it why he's not in that squad. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just some interest. Like why, like he, he goes on about saying that 23 is a 20 is a better number to train with than 26. And so he's not going to bring three extra players. I just find that kind of weird. Well, I just uh, wonder if Ramos is there with, with no intention of him being used, is that going to become a distraction? For the guys right. who are going to be playing those positions and for the media who are, you know, if Spain give up a goal and there's this outcry for why, where's Ramos, where's Ramos when the manager knows he's not fit and can't use him. Is that just going to, is that just become an unnecessary distraction around that team? Yeah, true, true. And one, one more thing. And, and some of our eagle eyed, uh, our regular La Liga watchers, uh, they pointed out Iago Aspas has just had another brilliant season, mm -hmm. another brilliant season, nowhere near the squad. I say nowhere near. I'm sure we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. But if you look at the attackers they're bringing, they're not bringing him. He's just had a great season. Sid Lowe does a, a piece on him from December on ESPN. You should, you, you should read it, guys. It's very good. And the way we're colored by what happened in the Premier League and one bad corner against Chelsea for Liverpool has kind of tainted Aspas's perception amongst people who don't watch La Liga regularly. But um, yeah, that's it, Andrew. That is it. Eric Garcia also, JJ, in, in the squad. No Nacho. I mean, we're talking about Real Madrid players not being in it. Asensio not in it. Nacho not in it. I don't, I don't know who who's that on. If you're if you're Florentino Perez, 
are you going to look inward and say, we got to change the way we're doing things here. If we can't get a single player into, into the Spanish squad. They're probably cursing out the fact that it's the ex Barcelona manager that's done this to them. You're that probably not right. Res- not respected the legacy of Real Madrid. You're probably right. Uh, well, there you go. We told you that was going to be a full burrito of a podcast. And we oh my lie. God. The beans and the rice and the guacamole are just spilling out. Unbelievable. The, the burritos we had actually had French fries in them. I wonder <sighs> people, it was very good, but I, your purists out there will probably be horrified at the thought of that. I think the purists are still trying to get over the fact that you use a knife and fork to eat a burrito. <laughs> good Lord. I mean, JJ, at the end of the meal, you like, you were just, your fa- you looked like a lion that had just come up from a wildebeest. I that mean, is was, not, but, but that is a, just a lie. You're trying to embellish a story. It was, it was hard to but watch. But it's not true. It was the neatest eating you've ever seen. I am a neat eater. Okay. What was that? A meat eater? Yes. You definitely did look like that. All right. Okay. By the way, can everyone leave us their burrito related and soccer related iTunes reviews? Okay. We need to start uh, racking up the iTunes reviews again. It's uh, it's compulsory. I agree. This was fun, man. We will be back of course, again, next week, we'll have a champions league recap, Europa league recap and the Devon links tuxedos adorned our bodies. Of course, me back in studio. Woo. We hope. We hope. Get get it done. Get don't be complacent. Get onto Rodney. Get onto security and get it done. <laughs> you hear that, Rodney? I know he's a big listener. Uh, this was fun, man. To you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 